Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance... Stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Do not, do not, I repeat, do not touch that dial. You heard the man... It's time for Fox Sports Sunday. We've got a lot on the docket tonight, so let's get busy. And on that note, please put your seat backs forward, your tray tables upright. We're ready for takeoff. My name is Bernie Frado. I'm coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. We'll take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern, along with my savvy, capable crew, Eric Kemp, Chris Perfett, Brian Fenley, on the updates as they will man the ship from our Los Angeles compound. Man, we've got... NBA craziness on the docket. Deshaun Watson, he's back in the news. John Gruden's back in the news. Colin Kaepernick's back in the news. We've got some Major League Baseball oddities I'm going to get to in about 20 minutes. They seem to continue. NFL OTAs in full swing. How are the second-year quarterbacks doing, plus the newbies? And what do teams really expect from a quarterback as they enter the league? I'm going to explain that a little later. That plus, what kind of brand-new fool are you and what my name in the final hour but first, a story that exploded about a week ago, and it's so delicious when worlds collide. And I'm talking about Jackie Gate and how a tempest in a teapot, depending on your perspective, has become a full-blown series of social commentaries and mea culpas. I haven't weighed in yet, but tonight I am. And how I think, once again, 
As Friedrich Nietzsche once said, out of chaos comes order. Let's set the stage, shall we? You see, when Tim Anderson, a player I like, by the way, in a 2019 article referred to himself as this generation's Jackie Robinson, I know what he was doing. He, Jackie Robinson was a very energetic, joyful, and sometimes flamboyant player who played the game of baseball with tremendous glee. And that's how Tim Anderson sees himself. And frankly, Anderson plays the game with great energy as well. But see, oftentimes in the heat of competition, gamesmanship can rear its head. Now, gamesmanship is nothing more than utilizing ploys and tactics to get under your opponent's skin to create, you know, a potential psychological advantage. So when Tim Anderson put himself out there, he invited the type of bench jockeying that baseball is so well known for. And after a misstep, when Yankees' Josh Donaldson snarkily called him Jackie, it may not have been with ill intent, but as you all know, whether it's in radio, whether it's in the corporate world, or even in the world of sports, when you reach for a laugh line at someone else's expense, there are most likely going to be some repercussions. Just ask Tony LaRusso. But I'm not taking sides here. See, in fact, I actually think baseball stands to benefit from this. Why? Where the hell are all the great rivalries in 2022? Remember how the Dodgers and Giants really used to be <clears throat> and Red Sox Yankees? The Dodgers and Giants, hell, they can't seem to be apart from each other. They were both born in New York. They've been divisional rivals in the NFL West since Moby Dick was a minnow. Therefore, it's really not unusual to see them near the top of most of the heated rivalries list. But that, and it's a rivalry that's been so iconic, <clears throat> the Dodgers owner convinced the Giants owner to take the team to California instead of Minneapolis so they could continue hating each other till the end of time. True story. How about the Yankees and Red Sox? They just had a brawl recently, and Aaron Judge and Joe Kelly, and they were wrestling and dancing, and it doesn't get any more heated than the Yankees-Red Sox. They just can't stand each other. It's always been like that. It'll be like that for all of eternity. The, the fans, the media, even the players, they don't hide the fact they hate each other. New York Yankees, by far, the winningest team in MLB history. But Boston's considered perhaps one of the best sports towns in the nation, so that only fuels this rivalry, which is deep and emotional and heartfelt. It's very passionate. It just is. And things often get physical on and off the field just about any time they face off. Well, could the White Sox and Yankees officially become baseball's new version of the Hatfields and McCoys? They're both on their way to winning their divisions. They're certainly going to end up in the playoffs. Perhaps they end up on a collision course in the postseason. Hatfields and McCoys. Not the Red Sox, White Sox. How about Yankees, White Sox? So Josh Donaldson and the White Sox, you might want to hold off on that holding hands and singing Kubaya, right? It's only been about 10 days since this bench-clearing argument and shoving match with Tim Anderson, but people can't stop talking about it. It stems from a physical tag at third base. And remember, it's been a year since Donaldson. He also incited an argument with White Sox pitcher Lucas Giolito, which is also a close friend of Anderson's. That culminated in a parking lot confrontation that multiple people with the White Sox felt, you know, Donaldson misrepresented reporters the following day. But 
And four years ago, Donaldson also took issue to an inordinate degree when White Sox first base coach Daryl Boston used a whistle to celebrate good defensive plays. So Donaldson and the White Sox have a body of work, right? All told, Donaldson seems more likely to bump into a member of the White Sox roster than just about anybody else because they don't like him either, right? The truth of the matter is, obviously, you know, when 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 Donaldson called him Jackie, he was snarky. And look, Anderson called himself Jackie. And it was supposed to be interpreted as, you know, just a reference to Jackie Robinson, but it turned into a bench-clearing argument, all right? And it called to mind the long history in this country of tensions of this nature. And so it's sensitive. And there are, there are a lot of moving parts. Tony La Russa flat out came out and said he made a racist comment. That did nothing more than to fan the flames. Now, Tim Anderson said it was disrespectful. My guess is that's how Tim Anderson took it, and his opinion matters here. However, he called himself Jackie. So what are we really doing here, right? Then by, you know, Yasmondi Grandal, he didn't, he had, a, he had a say in the matter. He didn't let Donaldson step into the batter's box before beginning, quote, a substantial explanation of how he was in the wrong. Donaldson was frankly surprised. He 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 can he confronted him in the fifth inning, and Yasmin you know Yasmani Grandal just basically said I think this guy lives in his own world. All right. In 2019, there was an interview, and and Tim Anderson said he he's the new Jackie Robinson of baseball. He's going to bring back fun, and in 2019, now Donaldson I think was in Atlanta then. He claims that Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson they Donaldson joked about that during the game. So from his point of view, he didn't know what really changed because he'd said it to him in years past, not in any manner more than just joking around. So if something's changed, obviously Anderson deemed it to be disrespectful. And look, if he did, what did Donaldson do? He apologized. That's not what I was trying to do. He not only Donaldson not only apologized to Tim Anderson, he apologized to the Jackie Robinson family. And so... This has really kind of gone down the road a bit, right? Now, I don't really know what Josh Donaldson's intent was. Um, Anderson certainly apparently didn't know what his intent was. Um, And I would say the only one who's the expert on the relationship with Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson is Tim Anderson because the rest of us are just outside observers looking in, right? But for the sake of exercise, if we analyze Donaldson's comments in the idea that it's a reference into the Sports Illustrated story in which Anderson discusses his reverence and gratitude for Jackie Robinson, his career, his legacy, and he ruminates on the lonely nature of being a black American in the current MLB landscape and the alienation he feels from its culture, and he was suspended not long ago, Tim Anderson, for the use of the N-word, This story has a lot of layers. I would just say this. I truly believe that the White Sox and Yankees can become one of baseball's great rivalries. And maybe this is a bit of an awakening that people think before they act. Uh, And again, if you you put forth a joke and it's at someone else's expense, you reach for a laugh line, there are going to be repercussions. And I would also say this, still waters run deep, so I don't think this beef is over since both teams 
I believe, are headed for a collision course, possibly in the playoffs. And that said, you could say the White Sox and Tim Anderson won this round, in my view, because that day in question, the White Sox actually swept a doubleheader. But I also must say this. If we're going to tell the story, let's tell the whole story. If Tim Anderson wants to be Jackie Robinson, this irony is not lost on me. Jackie Robinson was an incredibly elegant man who managed to somehow ignore and deflect all the untoward remarks launched at him over the years. Frankly, Tim Anderson did just the exact opposite. It's been a weird year in baseball. If you're looking for offense, you're not going to find it. Frankly, Major League Baseball hitters are not living up to their, quote, expected offense, offensive production. We're going to talk about that coming up next and how baseball feels about this, and I give plenty of examples. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. Now we're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. We'll take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. We're just getting started. You know, Major League Baseball hitters are simply not living up to their expected offensive production. You can all see it. I watch a fair amount of baseball. I keep seeing the deja vu all over again, Yogi. Groundhog Day scenario play over and over. The hitter squares up the bat, makes solid contact with the ball. It's been hit squarely going back, 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 back. You hear it? This is a home run. How could it not be? It's gone. It simply has to be until it dies on the track. A simple can of corn. They used to call that warning track power. Well, simply put, a lot of balls you might expect to be hits are now outs. What's going on? There have been 33 balls this season that ended up as outs despite having an expected batting average above 950, including one with an expected bat of 1,000. Yes, a ball with an exit velocity and a launch angle that has been hit in every other pass context went out of the park that this year, 33 times, it's been caught for a flyout. You see the ball. It's been hit squarely. Again, back, 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 Chris Byrne. When you hear it, it's a home run. How could it not be? It's gone. Has to be. Simply has to be until it dies on the track, resting comfortably in the glove of a waiting outfielder. What happened to Glaber Torres? Yankee second baseman was hitting 222. His expected batting average this year was 314. His 444 actual slugging percentage is almost 200 points lower than his expected slugging percentage of .619. This is the only time I really look at analytics and take them very, very, very seriously. Because analytics tells us what happened in the past. They don't tell you who's going to win tomorrow. The analytics might tell you who will win tomorrow, but it's based on a 1,000 simulations and if you play the game a thousand times, the probabilities are that you'll get a certain outcome. But in a single game affair, that doesn't always play out. Balls that seem as if they should be hits are instead ending up in outs. And, and by the way, players are starting to become vocal about it. Coaches are being vocal about it. They've shared their doubts about the quality of the baseball itself. But it's even clearer in the statistics Specifically, the expected statistics. Statcat, there are stat cast numbers such as expected batting average and expected slugging percentage that really show what a hitter's performance should be based on batted ball data, balls put into play. Now, at the individual level, the gap between expected and actual stats, that tells you about a player who's underperforming or overperforming and what you can expect going forward. These are real. This is real data. 
At the league-wide level, however, there isn't usually as much of a gap at all. In a sample size that large, what you should see is generally more or less than what you actually do see. But this year, man, this year looks a lot different, and the numbers don't lie. Just for the hell of it, follow me on this. Let's take a look back at just the last four seasons. In 2018, the expected batting average league-wide was 242. The league ended up hitting 248. In 2019, the expected batting average was 247. The league hit 252. In 2020, it was about the same. In 2020, the actual was one point higher. But let's jump to May to to 2022. The expected cumulative batting average of the league was 253. The actual cumulative batting average of the league is 233. <laughs> That's big. Now, typically, there's little difference between what the data predicts and what actually happens on a league level. Yet this year, there is a very huge gap. The difference in real and expected batting average is equivalent to the difference between, let's say, the worst hitting team in baseball, or hell, baseball history, and what would be the best in the last few years. But even still, it's not quite that simple. Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Is this really the biggest gap we've ever seen between expected and actual stats? Yeah, I think I just told you the gap is huge, 20 points. But you have to give that some context because the expected stats come from taking basic information about an individual batted ball, such as exit velocity, launch angle, and also the ballpark where the game is being played and comparing that to past data. And then what that does is determine the most likely outcomes. But the key bit here is that it is the data that has been used to make those comparisons. See, the league calculates at the baseline twice per year, according to multiple major league stats analysts, you know, once at the all-star break, and then again after the end of the season. This means before the all-star break, like right now, this baseline actually comes from past years. So this is a little nerdy, I get it. It's inside baseball, wonky stuff that I'm not into compiled by the guys that all went to Amherst that got quit playing the game when they hit 231 in Little League. It's all good. But see, it is crucial to understanding what these numbers are saying. In other words, you go to a baseball game in 2022, what you see is there's a huge league-wide gap between the expected and actual stats when you compare them to last year and the year before. You see, there was basically no gap those two years once you started to reflect the the offensive environment. Now, that hasn't happened yet in 2022, so we have to wait for the second half of the season. However, Major League Baseball is living in a world in a very weird world. If there's a big change in the offensive environment after the All-Star break, for instance, or there's not a big change in, in, in the stats, there's going to be questions that the baseball itself is, in fact, different. Because the numbers will continue to show very noticeably different things. So what do expected stats actually tell us right now? A lot. When you look at the actual league batting average of 233 versus an expected batting average of 253, what you're seeing is this year's real performance versus what the same performance would have been expected to yield in last year's offensive environment, all things equal which tells you this year's environment has to be different. It has to be very different. If it were unchanged from last year, with the quality of contact from hitters, the ball would be flying a lot more. 
there would be no conversations about why offenses collapsed. The league batting average would be over 250. The slugging cumulative average for the league would be over 430. Yet in the same context, in this environment, there is dramatically lower offensive numbers. Now, how much of that is defensive positioning? Again, part of the environment. You got ballparks, baseballs, weather, and the shift. There are more shifts this year. It's more popular this year than any other year. So I get it. But how would that affect the would-be home runs that are flyouts? I just told you, 33 occasions this year, when you have the same launch angle and the same exit velocity, 100% of the time those balls flew out of the park last year. This year, 33 have ended up on the warning track. How can they... How can the same situation result in a, in a flyout to right field when last year was flying out of the ballpark? That has nothing to do with defensive positioning. Now, the numbers don't suggest there's a significant conclusion on this either because there's a sizable gap between real and expected batting average for every infield alignment. The standard alignment, when there's no shift, the expected batting average was 257, and the league's still hitting only 240. When you have a strategic or partial shift, the expected batting average is still 249, leagues hitting 238. The full shift, the expected batting average is still 247, leagues hitting 222. The difference is obviously biggest when teams use a full shift. That's defined as three infielders to one side of second base, but it's still quite big. The, the, the gap between the two is still very big when there's no shift. And by the way, again, coming out of the CBA, you're not going to have the shift next year. People say, what is that going to look like? Well, all the infielders are going to have to have at least one foot on the grass, and no one can, the shortstop and and the third baseman have to be to the left of second base, and the second baseman and the first baseman have to be to the right of the second base. No one can be in the outfield grass. That's next year. We're talking about this year. But in other words, the gap between real and expected batting average is not due to teams optimizing the shift the numbers show that. So what else could be causing this? Look, there's really no definitive conclusion here, but given the fact there's been no dramatic large-scale changes from last season, either in the player pool or the dimensions of ballparks across the league, the baseball itself right now appears to be the prime culprit. When you're talking about something that affects all of Major League Baseball, well, except for Aaron Judge, maybe, such as a notable change from one year to the next, what plausible answer is there when you start to use the power of deductive reasoning? You're left with one conclusion. The baseball just seems to look different. Again, I watch a fair amount of baseball. And, and how many times have you seen this year the hitter squares up a fastball, makes solid contact, the ball looks like it's going back, back, back. You can hear it. You can see it. You can hear Chris Berman saying it. And the next thing you know, it's a simple can of corn. Warning track power ends up in an outfielder's glove. Dies on the track. Chicks may dig the long ball, but they're not seeing a lot of it this year. And again, guys have slumps. Maybe the Glaber tour slump when he's hitting 222, when he should be hitting 314. Hey, look, we're basically... We're less than 60 games into the season. He can turn that around. Maybe he gets hot when the weather changes, whatever. Sometimes you just can't make your hands do what you want to do. Some guys are notoriously slow starters. But when you're hearing frustration voiced by players and coaches, and they're talking about 
frankly, the quality of the baseball being used, and stat cast numbers such as expected batting average and expected slugging percentage are so much higher than what's exactly happening, and it's affecting all of baseball except Aaron Judge. It causes you to wonder, is the baseball different? We'll see as the regular as the rest of the season continues. Coming up, I told you John Gruden last week was back in the news. Well, he was in court this last Wednesday, and he had not only one victory, but two. I will share that with you next. But first, let's go to the man whose updates are sensational, and all I can say about him is tramps like us. Baby, we were born to run. It's Brian Finley with the latest. Thank you, Bernie, from courts to basketball courts. Of course, later on today, we've got Game 7, Eastern Conference semis, and Eastern Conference finals, I should say, between the Celtics and Heat. Yeah, Game 7, 8.30 Eastern time is when that thing tips off. We do have a Game 7 in the second round of the Eastern Conference in the NHL after the Rangers got a win against the Hurricanes 5-2. to two. So that series is even at 3. Major League Baseball, the Pirates slug a three-run blast in the top of the ninth to stun the Padres 4-2 at Petco Park. The Blue Jays slam the Angels 6-5 as Toronto gets the job done. The Mariners hold the Astros scoreless on on the way to a 6-0 win while Logan Gilbert, Seattle starting pitcher, went seven innings and he allowed no walks and no earned runs and just gave up four hits. Zach Eflin, the pitcher for the Phillies allowing seven earned runs and the Phillies falter to the Mets eight to two while the Dodgers were on the road and they hold off the Diamondbacks three to two. Will Smith coming up big with that sack fly in the fifth inning. The Rays are also victorious as they get the job done against the Yankees three to one. New York says goodbye to that four game winning streak. PGA Tour Charles Schwab challenge third round was on Saturday and Scotty Scheffler who is the number one player in the country, in the world, I should say, leads this thing at 11 under through three rounds. He has a two-stroke advantage. In second is Scott Stallings, so he is there. Brennan Todd is at nine under as well with one round to go. With that, let's get it back to our man in Las Vegas holding things down. It is Bernie Fratto. Thanks so much, Brian. <clears throat> John Gruden scored two legal victories Wednesday. Let me set this up. Remember when I told you last week Gruden was back in the news that on May 25th he would be in court here in Las Vegas where he filed suit against the NFL. And I'll tell you why he was in court. Let me tell you what's happening, okay, and why I am saying that he scored not one but two victories uh, in, in a Nevada court right here. As a judge by the name of Nancy Alf denied the NFL, the NFL filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit against the league what Roger Goodell and the NFL would like John Gruden to do is force this issue into arbitration. See, remember, the NFL wants arbitration, and Gruden wants this to be heard in open court, as John Gruden alleges that the NFL and, of course, Commissioner Roger Goodell created, quote, a malicious and orchestrated campaign to leak inappropriate emails sent by him, being John Gruden, between 2010 and 2018. Now, the, the NFL issued a statement following the court's ruling Wednesday stating that neither the league nor Goodell leaked Gruden's emails to the media. And I'll quote. This is uh, 
I believe this is Roger Goodell speaking, the commissioner. Quote, we believe John Gruden's claim should have been compelled to arbitration and we will file an appeal on the court's determination. So this isn't over. The court's denial of our motion to dismiss it is not a determination on the merits of Coach Gruden's lawsuit, which, as we have said from the outset, lacks a basis in law and fact and proceeds from a false premise. Neither the NFL nor the commissioner leaked Gruden's offensive emails. It seems like ancient history, but John Gruden, you recall, resigned from his position of head, uh, of head coach of the Raiders last October after all those damning emails were reported by the media. Now, these were emails recovered during the league's investigation into the Washington football team, and the Wall Street Journal reported that Gruden had, quote, used a racial trope to criticize NFLPA executive director DeMora Smith back in 2011. Just days later, the New York Times reported other emails that also contained some homophobic and misogynistic and sexist insults. This is what ultimately forced John Gruden's resignation. Now, again, Gruden goes on to say that, or, or, or check that, the, 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 those involved here say that the defendants, that would be Gruden, carefully leaked uh, a selection of Gruden's emails that were sent years before the Raiders hired him. And they were, they were leaked to their customary outlets, to the media, to the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. And, and John Gruden's attorneys filed a, uh, a, filed a motion in March that then the defendants, that's the NFL, Gruden's bringing suit against them, the defendants then purposely leveraged those emails to force Gruden to resign. And that ultimately caused John Gruden to lose his coaching career, lose his endorsements, and lose his sponsorships. Now, I don't know what Gruden's really after here. He wants his name back. He wants revenge. He may want money. I don't know. Um, he may want to trash the apartment on the way out. I don't think he needs money, but you never count anybody else's money. Bottom line is, when it comes to what happened this last Wednesday, John Gruden frankly scored a, 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 a big, I think a big preliminary victory in his lawsuit against the NFL and Roger Goodell because what this does is this denies the NFL's motion to dismiss the case and more importantly, the NFL's motion to force or compel arbitration. What does this mean? Because if it sticks, this means that Gruden's case will proceed in open court and not in what you would call the NFL's secret-rigged kangaroo court, as some people think. It's a win for the fans and media as well, since it means there's going to be a much greater degree of transparency. And this will apply to the fight Gruden brings. This means, barring a quick settlement, which I don't I don't know if the NFL is going to try to settle with Gruden or Gruden would accept the settlement, we're going to find out in discovery, most likely, who did leak the emails that forced Gruden out, and not only that, much more. Now, Gruden was reached for comment. He said, we're just going to let the process take care of itself. He said, good luck to the Raiders. Go Raiders. I don't have anything else to comment on. The process will take care of itself. It's good to be back in Vegas. I'm going to go see some friends tonight. Now, the NFL has tried to make the case about the content of the emails, which obviously were inappropriate. Gruden's lawyers have made the case about the alleged efforts of the NFL to force Gruden out by giving the emails to the media. You see what the dynamic is here? So what makes this ruling more potent in the fact of John, favor, of John Gruden's favor is the fact that Judge Alf ruled from the bench. Now, that doesn't happen very often. It happens when the proper ruling is so clear 
from the written submissions and the applicable precedent, if there is one, that there's really nothing that can be said or done in open court to change the outcome. It's the closest thing a judge can do to basically dunking the basketball in the face of the party that loses the issue. Or in this case, they spike the football in Goodell's face. If this is an open court and not arbitration, Discovery will maybe allow you to see what other emails are in there who potentially leaked the emails, and that's what Gruden's about here. Trying to you know, write what he believes is wrong against him and the essence of this argument, which is going to continue on for a while, is going to be simply this. The NFL is going to argue their side is the content of the emails, which were inappropriate. Gruden's lawyers have said, we're making it about the alleged efforts of the NFL to force Gruden out by giving the emails to the media. This isn't going away anytime soon. Much like Deshaun Watson, which we'll get to later in the show, these are side stories well, there are no real winners, and frankly, fans have a right to know. The NFL is on its way to being a $25 billion industry, and you don't get that way unless you've got one hell of a customer base, and the customer base deserves to know. Coming up, whoever said there's no such thing as bad publicity didn't tell that to Browns owner Jimmy Haslam. And by the way, I know Colin Kaepernick worked out, but what are the chances he signs? I'll tell you what an insider said. I'm Bernie Friday. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Stick and stay. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Oh, we're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Friday. coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Again, we'll take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. Got a lot of show to get to. Whoever said there is no such thing as publicity, I don't know if they were thinking of Brown's owner Jimmy Haslam doesn't seem to apply here see one way or another it seems like the browns organization has controversy raining all over it and surrounding it sometimes it's related to little things like owner jimmy haslam getting advice from a homeless man and other times it's actually a little bit more serious now the latest storm s storm i left out a key word there surrounds the name of the stadium that the team plays at First Energy Field in Cleveland. Now, First Energy, the company, they've held the naming rights to the Cleveland Stadium since 2013, and they're contracted until 2030 with those rights. The company has unfortunately also been embroiled in a controversy since bribery charges were brought by federal prosecutors surrounding former House Speaker Larry Househauser. That's his name, I think. While First Energy paid $230 million fine as part of a plea deal, a Cleveland City Councilman has sponsored a resolution attempting to get the company's name off the Brown Stadium, stating the municipality-owned stadium should not bear the name of a tainted First Energy Company. Now, allegedly, Jimmy Haslam himself is familiar with the controversy, having been forced to sell off his Flying Pilot J gas stations after former employers pleaded guilty to fraud schemes totaling over 50 millions. You know what? There's only one name that the Cleveland Stadium should be called, and that's the Dog Pound. It's a name every fan can relate to. And, you know, the good people of Cleveland, Cleveland's such a terrific city, and I'm not joking. Been there many times. The Flats, Burke Lakefront Airport, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, some of the best Italian restaurants in the country, Cuyahoga Sunset, Cedar Point. Cleveland does rock, man. And, you know, people always ask me, who's your favorite team? Who do you root for? 
as I've said a million times, I learned from Dick Schaap, my favorite sport is people, and my favorite team is no team. I root for the story. But if there's ever a team I'd root for, it'd be Cleveland. I would love to see Cleveland have their day in the sun. I know that they broke through in 2016 with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but you'd love to see the Browns, like the Lions had never even been to a Super Bowl. You'd love to see the Cleveland Indians win a World Series. You'd love to see the people of Cleveland, terrific city, you know, close second to Buffalo. Four straight Super Bowls couldn't get there. I consider that to be a major achievement. Would love to see the good folks of Buffalo break through as well. The truth of the matter is, Jimmy Haslam and the Browns, I don't know if they're cursed or what. And a little bit later, at the top of the hour, we're going to get into this John, Deshaun Watson situation. And if you happen to see Real Sports with Brian Gumble Tuesday night, it's not pretty. All right, another gentleman who's in the news, you hearing it all over the place, Colin Kaepernick. You worked out with the Raiders this past week. But, you know, as I told Arnie Spanier and Jason Martin uh, two and a half hours ago when I do my usual Saturday night hit, call me when he signs, okay? What, what are we doing here? Why, why is there always this constant tease? It's not like the guy never played in the league. He had 65 starts. I think he was 3-16 and 16 in his final 19 starts. And I know it wasn't his fault. You don't need to tweet at me. He made $43 million in his career. And whether or not he can play, I don't know. I've always believed that if he could play, he'd have been on a roster. And the, and the best parallel I can draw is Michael Vick. I was on the air in Detroit in 2009 when Vick went away for some pretty serious charges. He paid his debt to society. I had the topic on the air. I was very much in Michael Vick's corner. I like Michael Vick. I've met him. He paid his debt to society, which I just said. And the question is, would he come back? And the Eagles showed the most interest. And boy, we had activists calling and screaming, we'll blockade the stadium, we'll protest, we'll do this. There was some of that, very little. But Vick found his way back onto an NFL roster, started as a backup, but he was good. Worked his way up to being a starter. I believe he played another six years in the league, and he was a pro bowler at least twice. Now, why? Because Michael Vick could really play, and he could help a team win. And I don't care what anybody thinks. If you've ever been anywhere near an NFL front office, and I covered the Lions for 10 years, the pressure to win is immense. It's unreal. The notion that you would keep him out just because of certain things, and Kaepernick never even broke the law. Vick was a convicted felon. The word is, from people I talk to in scouts, and these are conversations going back six years, that after they had enough film on him, they realized he was basically a glorified read option, only quarterback. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Champ Bailey said he's the easiest quarterback I've ever had to defend, you know, right where the ball's going. Teams used to crash their defensive ends on Colin Kaepernick, and he's so athletic. Once he made that first guy miss 74% of the time, he was off and running. He kept his eyes downfield. He'd run vertically. If the defensive backs, their back was to him, he gained yardage. If they were in zone, he'd run horizontally. His receivers would sight adjust their routes. Kaepernick was best when the play broke down. Over the years, you tell me if you think he helped himself by wearing pig socks and a Castro shirt. You tell me. You tell me if he helped himself by doing a Netflix special by comparing NFL training camp to slavery. That hurt to watch, frankly. But if he could play to the degree he's trying to tell us he could, and you tell me if he helped himself by not going to the USFL. What if you went in that league and lit it up and say, wait a minute now. 
Maybe he's maybe he's got enough in the tank where he could help somebody. So I'm watching this story, but all that matters to me, is he going to sign it? So what are the chances? Well, according to, to Sean Reed, a Raiders beat writer who's much closer to the situation than I am, he said he believes Kaepernick has a legitimate shot. He said owner Mark Davis has really advocated for Kaepernick to get another shot for years now. He, he, he supported Kaepernick. The Raiders already have options. You've got, obviously, Derek Carr, who just got a new contract. He's going to be your starter. The Raiders did sign Nick Mullins, and they did trade for Jared Stidham. They brought him over for New England, Josh Dant McDaniels, and his new staff. Now, Kaepernick hasn't played football since 2016. That's a long layoff for anybody, regardless of talent. But he was decent in 11 games as a starter that season. He'd be the oldest quarterback on the roster at 34. And there have been plenty of signal callers who have shown they can still be capable players at that age. Now, the Raiders clearly hope Carr plays every game this season, and they could work Kaepernick into the offense on design runs and run pass options similar to what the Raiders did with Marcus Mariota the last two seasons. And if Carr did miss any time, would Kaepernick be able to step in as a starter? That maybe is something worth taking a flyer on. I've always advocated giving him a chance. I think he's been his own worst enemy. And the truth of the matter is, if he really could play to the degree we're being told, I just don't think teams would keep passing on him. So, where do I weigh in on this story? I'm all for Kaepernick getting a chance. But don't keep telling me he worked out. It's been 48 hours now. If you wanted to sign him, what's taking so long? Now, maybe they'll sign him Sunday or Monday and make a liar out of me. We'll see. I'll see when I believe it. Call me when you have a deal. That's what I'm saying. Kaepernick, call me when you have a deal. Speaking of deals, a Deshaun Watson decision is close. Keep it locked. I'm Bernie Fratto. This is Fox Sports Radio and Fox Sports Sunday. Hey, guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, they're like, you know, who's ready to catch Creighton? You know, watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon, the dude, today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of the – Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? You've the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. 
The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Fox Sports Sunday train keeps rolling. Right along, I'm Bernie Fratter. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Ton of show to get to. We're going to take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern. Along with my crew, that would be Brian Finley on the updates, Eric Kemp, and, of course, Chris Perfett. I don't know if you saw it Tuesday night or if you typically watch uh, the HBO uh, long time, probably 25-year history, real sports special. Uh, they don't shy away from tackling, you know, very provocative stories. And what they gave was a pretty compelling Deshaun Watson update and interviewed uh, on live. Well, it wasn't live, but uh, two of the accusers, and it was emotional and it was interesting. And then at the very end, one of Watson's attorneys weighed in and I will tell you she was impressive because if I was guilty this is someone I would hire um, but there's an old saying when you've got the law on your side you pound the law when you don't have the law on your side you pound the table she had a lot of platitudes saying well why did multiple attorneys turn down his case uh, why did the grand jury not bring forth charges she was dancing around she did a good job okay you didn't fool me the grand jury was a farce. I don't think that Houston district attorney had any interest in bringing charges against Watson. He lives in the same zip code. It's my understanding. I could be wrong, but in the same proximity as the Houston Texans football team. You know what? It may not be such an easy case to prove criminally. The margin is much higher. And, uh, you know, most district attorneys, most prosecutors want to want to protect their pristine 97% Conviction rate, and just because they didn't go forward and bound over for trial, the grand jury, 
uh, to bring criminal charges against Watson doesn't believe doesn't ma- doesn't mean there's no culpability here. Okay, but let's set that aside. I'm not going. I've said all along. I'm not going to adjudicate this in moot court. I will give you my my opinions based on what I think I know. But I heard a lot of platitudes coming out of that defense attorney. She did a good job. She did what her client asked her to do. So what's the question here? The question is, when the hell is the NFL going to weigh in on this? Well, it turns out, according to Monday morning quarterbacks Albert Breer, the NFL is expected to finally make a decision on a potential suspension for Watson be sometime before the start of the 2022 season. Okay, This last Monday, Breer noted that the NFL has spoken with at least now half the women who filed lawsuits against Watson. That would be a number of 11, you know, like a football team, because there's 22. Breer also reported that NFL officials have met with Watson in Texans. And Watson's belief, or I guess the belief is that while he's unsure if the NFL's investigation into Watson is complete, the league usually speaks with the player when you get towards the end. It's, it, it, these are delicate situations, and usually after you've spoken to everybody else and you speak to the player last. So if you're reading tea leaves, that leads us to believe that a decision is not too far off. Now, Brewer also reported, again, that the NFL has spoken with at least half of the 22 accusers. So one would think the leak is communicated, communicated with at least everybody who's willing to talk. Now, the biggest reason why Albert Brewer believes the NFL reached a decision on Watson is that the trial on the civil cases will be suspended once the season starts. It will not resume until after the season ends. And since the criminal lawsuits have already been dropped, now the NFL can theoretically levy a suspension on Watson before the season starts and get out ahead of this for once and for all. This is the thing. It's looming. And I I will tell you, I am not pleased with what I consider to be a very cavalier attitude that Deshaun Watson who doesn't seem to show the least bit of contrition. Something, this book is missing a hell of a chapter, and whatever chapter it's missing, in my humble opinion, doesn't make Watson look very good. So the, the issue, though, is there, there, you've got a combination of a situation here of who the player is, because he had a good reputation before he went goofy in Houston, refused to play last year, and the severity of the civil cases that are still open. Now, it's a little risky for the NFL to have a ruling on the matter before Watson has had a stay in civil court. But if you don't do something, the league starts to run the risk of being too lenient on this impending suspension or potentially too harsh if Watson is potentially acquitted of all charges. Either way, it seems to, you know, it seems like a suspension is coming in some capacity. And if for no other reason, the NFL has a right. We've talked about this in previous shows under their policy to suspend a player for what is considered conduct detrimental to the league. You tell me if you think this is detrimental. I say yes. Now, even the Cleveland Browns seem to understand this. All right. They went out and signed a top-tier backup stopgap quarterback when they went out and signed Jacoby Brissett to the mix. Though Baker Mayfield is still on the roster, the consensus is that Baker Mayfield would not be with the Browns, even as an insurance policy, regardless of the Watson fallout. All right. The Browns may still have a shot at being a good football team this year. Their variance of how good they can be seems to be 
pretty wide. But it's based entirely on the Watson decision. If Watson is able to play in more than half of their games, the theory is that Brown, the, the, the Browns can actually, you know, have a shot at the AFC playoffs. But should Watson not be able to play at all this fall, Cleveland could be looking at a last-place team in that AFC North. Baltimore is going to be back with a vengeance, and I believe. Pittsburgh will always be competitive. And Cincinnati's got that one guy. Oh, yeah, Joe Burrow. That's a tough division. At this time, I would say that it would be far more shocking if the NFL did not make a decision before week one. And in case you've been on Mars or missed it, Deshaun Watson is facing 22 active civil lawsuits. And they all regard alleged sexual harassment and assault that occurred during the massage therapy sessions. And if you saw, you can still go back and watch it. I'm sure it'll be, it'll be rerun. The 15, 20-minute vignette they did on Deshaun Watson, and they interviewed his accusers, or a couple of them, Ashley Solis. They were very graphic in their testimony. And the lawsuits entail numerous accounts of alleged sexual misconduct from Watson, refusing to cover his genitals, quote, to touching a plaintiff with his penis and trying to force her to perform oral sex on him. These are statements the accusers made during, uh, under oath during uh, depositions. Now, there were two additional depositions regarding Watson that will take place coming up June 21st it, it, over, over a period of two days. And there's an agreement in place that by civil by, by July 1st, this civil case is going to pause until after the 2022 season. Yes, the wheels of justice grind very slowly, even civilly. Now, if that's the case, that's going to force the NFL to either make a ruling on Watson before September or wait till after the 2022 season or perhaps sometime before the 2023 season for a potential suspension. If you want my opinion, I think the latter scenario is unlikely. I don't think the NFL is going to wait to 2023. Look what Major League Baseball just did with Trevor Bauer. This is show business here. Now, there are two NFL investigators, Lisa Friel and Jennifer Gaffney. They both questioned Deshaun Watson last week. Once they have finished their investigation, then they are going to report their findings to a, a, a former U.S. district judge by the name of Sue L. Robinson. Yes, she's a female. What's the significance? Goodell has tapped Sue Robinson as the one who will determine whether Watson will be disciplined. Now, discipline options include a suspension, fines, a combination of both. And I'm going to bring in the crew here in a few minutes, and I'm going to let them play commissioner for a day. And I'm going to let them tell me what they would do with Deshaun Watson. If it were up to me, I would suspend Deshaun Watson for 12 games. You don't like it? Appeal it. And we'll see if the appeal is reduced. But you can't get off scot-free. He pulled his crap last year with the Texans, signed a transcendent contract, cried, didn't want to play, was upset they didn't check with him. I know Deshaun Watson's a good guy, and he's done a lot of community service, but it's not been good the last year and a half. He's left too many people in the lurch. Now he's going to leave a new organization who for some reason saw fit to give him a raise and reward him for all this odd, idiosyncratic activity, as if they believe he's the savior, can walk on water and leave the Cleveland Browns of the Super Bowl, which I think is a risk in and of itself. $230 million guaranteed. While not 
you know, not for nothing, pissing off the rest of the NFL GMs in the league because this is going to be the new baseline for quarterbacks who haven't been embroiled in these kinds of misunderstandings. And ever since Watson was traded to the Browns on March 18th, it's just not been a good look. His introductory in, in his introductory press conference, Watson continued to deny assaulting or harassing or disrespecting any of the women he filed a suit against him. Watson previously at that point and was still facing 10 criminal complaints, even though he's not facing charges on that front following the two separate grand jury hearings. However, the complainants, they don't all know each other before this happened. They detailed similar incidents of harassment and assault. I just don't like the Sean Watson's cavalier attitude about this. And every time I think about what he said that day at the press conference about I was not raised this way. I was not raised to disrespect women. What do you want, a, a medal? Who out there in this listening audience were raised by a parents that said, son, I want you to disrespect women. That's ridiculous. You, you want brownie points because you, you were raised not to disrespect women? And it comes down to you judge someone by their actions or what they say. Now, I don't want to bury Deshaun Watson. I believe in second chances. I think he should have settled this thing a long time ago. But his obstinacy, his cavalier attitude, his dismissive nature, seemingly, his holier-than-thou attitude when it comes to not even barely validating what these women are saying. Are they really making it up? All I can say is it adds up to a bad look, and it's going to be an interesting fall for the Cleveland Browns and their fans. So if I get to play commissioner, who knows, maybe Roger Goodell will call me and say, what would you do? 12-game suspension. They don't like it, appeal it, and we'll see where it goes. Coming up, let's bring in the crew. I want to see what they've got to say, and they're each going to be given an opportunity to tell me if they were commissioner for a day, what their ruling would be on Deshaun Watson coming up here before the season really gets going. Would they suspend him? Would they fine him? Would they both? For how long? Why? What's their rationale? Let's see what the crew has to say on the Deshaun Watson Situation. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studio. Stick and stay. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Right, we're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. We are talking about the Deshaun Watson saga. It will continue in perpetuity and maybe even longer. But for now, he's in camp with the Cleveland Browns. The season is less than 15 weeks away. He's in limbo. The NFL's in limbo. The fans are in limbo. And meanwhile, you've got to adjudicate a civil case involving 22 plaintiffs, and they've agreed to set it aside after July 1st. So does Deshaun Watson get to play this season without, with complete impunity? Look what, look what Major League Baseball did to Trevor Bauer. You know my opinion. I've said I should spend him for 12 weeks, and he can appeal it, and he can bring his case forward, and we'll see what happens. Let's bring in the crew. They get to play commissioner for a day. How would they deal with the Deshaun Watson situation? What would they do, and why? Let's start with Brian Fenley. Yeah, Bernie, I think no matter what you do here, you're never going to please everybody, depending upon a decision. You're never going to meet the demands. You're, you're going to get backlash either way, whether it's some people thinking it's too strict of discipline or 
not enough. I have a hard time believing that the NFL didn't tip off the Browns about what they might do with Deshaun Watson before, you know, throwing all that money at him, which then leads me to believe that, yes, I think that Watson is going to play this year. And I think, if anything, they'll probably give him a four-game suspension at the very most. I can't see it being more than that, Bernie. Not- well, my question is, what would you do? You're the commissioner today. You know, it's pretty tough to read the tea leaves on this. Yeah, it could be six games. There's there's precedent here. There's case history here. But again, the NFL can do whatever they want. The question is, if I made you commissioner for a day, what would you do? Well, let me just say this, Bernie. And I know that you, you listened to his press conference and when he had to answer for what he had done. And I just it rubbed me the wrong way. It didn't seem like he really got into anything and then his excuses they didn't come across as authentic and it looked like he was sort of downplaying everything when look you know on the other side there there was a, a lot of people the, the the alleged victims here that thought wow you know how could he be talking like this didn't even happen or he's he's poo-pooing the fact of of any of this happening i just i i think what we're gonna see bernie now, it, what would you do what would i do your commissioner for a day Oh, man. I mean, I, I want to see a strict punishment. No, I, I know you do. I want to see Hey, him. Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Bernie. Brian. Yes, Bernie. I, I, I know you want to replay the press conference, and I know what you'd like to see, and I know what bugged you, and I know what you think might happen. I'm asking you to be the commissioner. Before I get to Chris and before I get to Eric, you going to give him a suspension, yes or no, on how many games? I'm not going to. I don't want him the whole year. Okay, well, that's fair. I like that, actually. I'm going, I'm going the full year. I, I, I think uh, some, Doug Gottlieb may have mentioned that, or, so, or John uh, Middlecoff. I'm with, okay, Brian, I, I can get behind that. All right, so Brian Finley is voting for a full year suspension. No, he's not voting. He's commissioner today. And uh, I will tell you, if that happened, I would not shed a tear. All right, uh, Eric Kemp, what are your thoughts? You're the commissioner. What would you do with Jason Watson? You're the commissioner. Well, I'm going to echo a sentiment that has been kind of making its rounds is that, uh, um, you know, talent is trumping trouble. And that's kind of the unfortunate case of what I'm continuing to see with Deshaun Watson. If I was commissioner, I would stop that right now. Um, you know, we've we've suspended players for way less um like you know consuming recreational marijuana for no no remember it's not gonna be the commissioner it's gonna be an appointee a former district judge named sue robinson she'll be making the suspension robert roger goodell the commissioner has appointed her what i'm doing is appointing you saying you're going to announce the suspension right now commissioner for a day here at kemp yeah i would i would just i I don't think making an appointment with somebody else having to be the, you know, bringing down the hammer is the right move in general. I would just say as as you're the figurehead of the NFL itself, it should be on the commissioner itself to make to be judge during kind of executioner in this regard. So I would suspend him. You reap what you sow, Cleveland Browns. You're still the Cleveland Browns. Like you're gonna, you're. This is a fully guaranteed contract, so you're safe on the cap anyway. So really, it's it's. <laughs> I think it's more of a decision that uh, Baker Mayfield's 
waiting on than anything as he waits in limbo, as Deshaun Watson lim- waits in limbo, as the Browns and the Browns fans, like you said, are waiting in limbo as we continue to see whether uh, talent trumps trouble. So what's your answer? The, f- the full year. Full year. Okay, fair enough. By the way, and uh, so I, I agree with Brian. I agree with you. Uh, Michael uh, Smith, a very respected journalist who's been around the block for years, said he expects it to be a full year because a lot more details of Watson's misconduct are being revealed. And listen, no one's rushed to judgment on this. This has been looming for a long time. Okay, Chris Perfett, you got the last word. You get to be the commissioner. What's going to be your decision? At least two years. All right. I continue to amplify that. Well, I'm not arguing. No, I, I, I'm not. Is... I'm not even going on the Trevor Bauer example. I'm going at. I look at what happened with Michael Vick. When Michael Vick was suspended, it was indefinite. It was indefinite. In practice, what that basically meant is that once Vick got out of jail, it basically was a service of two years. At the very least, if you are going to put the punishment on making dogs fight two years, you need to at least make this punishment as much, if not more. For the well-being of dogs to be equal to be equal or less to the well-being of women. Otherwise, you're just sending a bad message. Full stop. At the same time, I also want to punish the Cleveland Browns. I think this uh, fully guaranteed contract is them thumbing the nose at the shield, basically saying, "Hey, hit us with your best shot. We don't care. We'll make sure he gets paid." So I want to make sure I hit them where it hurts and make sure it takes more money away from Deshaun Watson after that fact. Like, there's this this is a bad precedent. The Browns have handled this very poorly. Deshaun Watson has handled it very poorly. He's shown zero contrition. Uh, maybe in a legal system, you're innocent until proven guilty. For me as commissioner, I look at 22, 22 accusations, and I can't imagine a, a world where all 22 of them are lying. That would be the biggest criminal conspiracy in history. To have <laughs> to, to 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 gin that up, so I'm sorry. Oh, at yeah. least two years. At least two years. Okay, I I appreciate the forcefulness of your answer. So Brian says one year. I'm in agreement with that. Eric says one year. I'm in agreement with that. Chris says two years. I'm in agreement with that. Of course, he would appeal, and most likely, if any of those three came down, he would be uh, he he would I'm guessing get it reduced somewhat. But if he started six games and he appeals that, right? Here's the thing, because I, I, I made a few phone calls this week to people I know that have covered the NFL that have been around. And one of the one of the recurring themes has been public opinion matters. And if you look at what baseball did, everybody knows that's on people's radar. It has to be. They gave Trevor Bauer 324 games. So the question is, do you think the NFL wants to be the organization that says sexual misconduct against women doesn't mean as much to them that it means to the other league? So I'm of the belief that Sue Robinson is going to come down with a pretty harsh judgment. I'm having a hard time. It'll be two full years. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm guessing. Could it be one year? Yeah, absolutely. It could be. The key is I think you guys are all in lockstep and we're all in agreement that this entire ordeal, regardless of whether or not he was, well, he wasn't exonerated of criminal charges because he was never charged. It doesn't matter. This is a situation in a highly charged period of time that we're living in in this society. And when one professional sports league rules in another way, you've got to be very careful about your public image, which the NFL is with the Shield as it pertains particularly 
particularly to sexual conduct, misconduct, and rule accordingly because public opinion very much matters. Coming up, some better news. Rookie camps, OTAs, mini camps are in full swing. We got a bunch of second-year quarterbacks that are going to try to make a name for themselves. And you got the newbies, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett. Such high, such a high percentage of quarterbacks fail. What do they really look for? What's going to be expected of these guys? What's a quarterback's most important trait? I'm going to tell you coming up. But first, let's go to the German, Brian Fenley, with the latest. All right, Bernie, thank you so much. And the New York Rangers are forcing a Game 7 NHL second-round postseason play after beating the Hurricanes 5-2 to two yesterday. So that series is all even at 3. Let's now make our way to the Diamond, where the Padres had a 2-1 lead in the top of the ninth. They put in their closer, Taylor Rogers, and he serves up a three-run jack in the top of the ninth. So... Pittsburgh, the Pirates end up coming back and beating San Diego at Petco 4-2, the final score there. The Blue Jays overcome the Angels 6-5. That went final after L.A. had three runners on base in the top, or rather the bottom of the ninth, and they could not tie the score. The Mariners show out against the Astros 6-0 as Seattle starting pitcher Logan Gilbert had four hits allowed, seven innings pitched, no earned runs, of course, and no walks, while the Mets take down the Phillies 8-2 and Phillies starting hurler Zach Eflin six innings he worked he surrendered eight hits and gave up seven earned runs the Dodgers take down the Diamondbacks 3-2 Will Smith had the go-ahead sack fly in the fifth inning the Rays are winners against the Yankees 3-1 New York ends that four game winning streak the Cardinals plaster the Brewers 8-3 Nolan Gorman hit his first home run as a major leaguer. The Royals are victorious against the Twins 7-3 as Bobby Wood Jr. had three hits. PJ Tour Charles Schwab Challenge has one round to go today, but through 54 holes, and this is, of course, taking place in Fort Worth, Texas, Scotty Scheffler, world number one golfer, has the lead. 11 under through three rounds in the tournament. Scott Stallings and Brennan Todd, a tie for second place at nine under heading into today. And also coming up later on today, it is game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. Bring your popcorn. Here comes the drama. It's the Celtics and Heat. It tips off at 8.30 Eastern. And the winner, Bernie, will be taking on the Golden State Warriors. Looking forward to that upcoming matchup. But until until then, let's send it back to our man in Las Vegas, Bernie Fratto. All right, thanks so much, Brian. All right, folks, what's a quarterback's most important trait? Matt Corral's going to have to have it, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, and, of course, last year's crop, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, which has already displayed quite a bit of it, even Tua, Zach Wilson, you name it. It's called recognition. See, the, the, the position of quarterback, especially NFL quarterback, is it's demanding as any position in the world. You've got to combine intellectual ability. You've got to adapt in an instant. You've got to have the physical attributes of elite athleticism to evade large defenders. And those large defenders can run like track stars. And you've got to have the emotional stability necessary that every leader has to have. Here's the importance of recognition. What does that mean? Quarterback's a position you play with your eyes. You make your pre-snap reads. You process coverages. It's a position that 
as you play with your eyes, you receive the ball, you make your post-snap reads, you see who they match up or how they match up with your pre-snap observations, and then you have less than two seconds to execute. I don't care how fast you run, how high you can jump, or if you can throw a ball farther than Uncle Rico. Look it up. Yes, it's a Napoleon Dynamite reference. You can't hold the damn ball. You've got to get it out of your hand. To do that, it requires recognition. Justin Fields is a world-class athlete and a special person and a great citizen. But he's got to get the ball out of his hand if he's going to be successful. If you need to move your feet to keep a play alive, take note. Is the defense man-to-man? If so, that could be a green light to run north and south since the DBs are facing away from you, except for the safety who's probably still 30 yards away. If the defense is in zone, you roll laterally, you give your receivers a chance to set adjust the route so they can get open and create a positive play. The truth of the matter is, quarterback is the position you play between the ears. It's about recognition and reaction. How quickly can you recognize the defender's responsibilities? How quickly can you exploit them? Recognition is a visual thing. It's a processing skill that directly translates from the film room right to the field. Without recognition skills, your film studies will completely lack the action you're going to need to make decisions and have success in the field because recognition skills are going to allow you to retain the information you see in process and then you react and respond accordingly within two seconds. Every post game, a successful QB will make comments about how they were able to recognize and react to the defensive scheme. Then they'll often pick on a defensive player and put their offensive weapons in a position to capitalize on the defender. Now, I named about seven or eight quarterbacks that have been drafted the last couple of years. How do pro scouts evaluate quarterbacks? Why did they draft these guys? Number one, college production. This one is a little tricky. Because gaudy numbers in college have little correlation to future NFL success, okay? There have been guys like Case Keenum and Timmy Chang and Graham Harrell. That you thought they'd be Pro Bowl quarterbacks based on, their, based on their numbers in college. But at the same time, you know, if a quarterback didn't produce at the college level, what's to say he'll do it in the NFL? I think a college football is sort of a, the NFL education, and the NFL is a Ph.D., And you can't master the latter without mastering the former. Bill Parcells once said that you need the time and maturity of a long college career to develop a a good quarterback in, in the NFL. It's important that a quarterback not only have enough repetitions in college, but also enough time understanding what's involved. You're going to be the big man on campus when you get to the NFL. Secondly, physical makeup. One of the oldest and truest adages in the NFL is the most important ability is availability. And the NFL quarterback is going to take a pounding. And that's one thing I give Matt Stafford a ton of credit for over the years. The dude's been hit more than Rocky Balboa. And he kept getting up. Give him credit. Scouts fall in love with guys like Cam Newton and Ben Roethlisberger or Andrew Luck. Because they can take a pounding. And then they have sometimes question marks about smaller guys. When you consider how basically injuries completely derailed RG3, you see what I mean. You got to be available. Physical makeup. You got to have arm talent. Now, arm talent's a bit of a double-edged sword, because what sets apart guys like Cam Newton and Aaron Rodgers is their ability to effortlessly drive the ball 50 or 60 yards down the field at a velocity and accuracy that's almost impossible to react to. But sometimes you can get overseduced by this. Guys like Jamarcus Russell, who maybe had the strongest arm in the history of any NFL. Seriously. 
but how did it work out for him? See, because arm talent in and of itself, that's that's kind of a luxury. There are plenty of quarterbacks who've succeeded with just enough arm strength, guys like Tom Brady or Joe Montana. There's plenty of quarterbacks who never made the NFL because they don't have enough of an arm to drive the ball outside the numbers or attack the intermediate zones or get to get the ball to the receivers before the defenders get there. Okay, so arm talent, now that's different than passing skills because the most important factor physically in any quarterback success is their accuracy. Can you deliver the ball into tight windows in a way that gives the receiver the opportunity to do something with the football when he gets it? But there's an added layer of nuance in college versus the NFL. In college, quarterbacks are often simply able to throw the ball to the open receiver. In the NFL, because of the incredible talent and extreme world-class athleticism of their opponents and the sophistication of opposing defenses, quarterbacks need to understand when and how to throw the football before their receiver is open. So see, the ability to throw the football to the receiver at the exact moment he's supposed to get open and understand if which receiver will be open based on the routes they're running versus the coverage of the opposing defense that they had to read post and pre-snap all represents another complex layer when you are measuring passing ability. Finally, this is really important as well, intangibles. The proverbial X factor or it factor. This is what sets apart the talented quarterback from the great quarterback. It's stuff you can't coach. It's stuff you can't teach. Steve Young once said the most important thing a quarterback must have is the indomitable will to refuse to lose and the ability to communicate that to his teammates that the quarterback will not allow the team to lose the game. This is not phony baloney stuff. It's real. The quarterback is the guy who has to carry the hopes of his teammates, the coaches, the franchise, the city. He's the guy who loves football more than anything else, the hardest worker in the room, the smartest guy in the field, and the leader on and off the field. He is the general, the field general. Even in high school, if you've played high school football, you know if your quarterback's got that thing we call huddle presence. It's the same in college, and it's very much the same in the NFL. Keep an eye on this quarterback crop. Maybe one of these three guys, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, or Kenny Pickett will surprise you. But this is what you're going to be looking for. Zach Wilson is going to head into his sophomore season, as is Mac Jones, as is Justin Fields, as is Trey Lance. Now, the numbers in history tell us, and I don't mean to be a killjoy, is most of them are not going to succeed. And if they don't, it'll most likely be their inability to check the boxes I just mentioned. Coming up, you know, about a year ago, I talked about Penn Gaming and their stock went crazy. But in this world of sports betting, 33 legal states and an insatiable demand, I want to revisit DraftKings. I'm not giving anybody advice. I just want to share with you what's going on lately because I'm of the belief that DraftKings now is really a bargain. And yeah, I bought some myself. Now we're not giving stock tips on the show, but it's a stock that still will liked on Wall Street. I'm going to explain why. I'm talking about... DraftKings, yes, sports betting is here to stay, folks. You'd be amazed if you knew where the numbers were really going to go. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Well, we're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. That's what we'll take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific, 6 a.m. Eastern, top of the hour. The dance sensation sweeping the nation. Yes, yes. What kind of brand new fool are you? Followed by what my name. In about an hour, <clears throat> we'll get to uh, Chris Perfett's World of Soccer as well. So we got a lot of stuff to get to. As you know, 
The Supreme Court in 2018 ended the federal ban on sports betting. And since that happened, when PASPA was overturned, relegated it back to the states, 33 states have legalized it. And this is becoming a multi-billion dollar betting boom. More money is now wagered on sports uh, just about everywhere. And what's interesting is California, what may be the biggest market of all, bigger than New Jersey, bigger than Nevada, is going to be voting on legislation or voting on legalization later this year in November. So the truth of the matter is, as betting expands into boundaries that once separated gambling from sports media and professional sports leagues, those walls are coming down. Digital apps make sports betting possible on mobile devices, and this gives sports betting a foothold across America like never before. And and by the way, the brick-and-mortar casinos are still very popular as well, but but they're using technology, so much, so much more can happen so much faster. Now, <clears throat> to give this some perspective, in June of 2018, a month after that PASPA was overturned and allowed sports to legalize, allowed states to legalize sports betting, Sports gamblers in regulated markets bet about $310 million for that month. Jump to three years later, they wagered $7 billion for the month of October 2021. That's a 20-fold increase. And it's not slowing down at all. The truth of the matter is you can't even watch a sporting event without a betting line rolling across the TV screen. Professional teams, leagues, they've established direct partnerships with gambling companies. It is here to stay. It is not going away. Sports betting in the U.S. is booming. For the 2021 NFL season, an estimated 45 million Americans bet, at least one bet, for a total of at least $12 billion. So the realization that it's a growing industry is astronomical when you look at the numbers. When you look at the market growth, between now and 2025, let's say, the sports betting market size to grow in the United States is estimated to be at over $100 billion by 2025. Now, you hear these numbers, but they don't always resonate with people. See, if you, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you the difference between a million and a billion. If you start accounting to a million one second at a time, it would take you 12 days. If you started counting to a billion one second at a time, that 12 days jumps to 33 years. That's the difference between a billion and a million. We're talking about a sports betting market size to grow the United States to 106 billion in regulated markets by 2025. And that's just here. Overseas, it'll grow too. Now, DraftKings stock, it's been down pretty harshly from its all-time high of 74, I believe. It's down about... 75%, but it's starting to come up off as lows because management has said it remains very confident that they're going to start hitting their EBITDA targets. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And the truth of the matter is they believe they're going to transition to EBITDA profitability by the fourth quarter of 2023. This is a sports betting giant. They made a lot of acquisitions, spent a lot of money. They're a juggernaut. And from what I understand, what I've been told in my research DraftKings is still very much liked on Wall Street. And Morgan Stanley has DraftKings slotted as a top pick based on their forecast. When you consider they're at the forefront right next to all the legal U.S. sports betting and iGaming markets that are going to increase 
in, uh, uh, in between now and 2025, which I just mentioned. So the forecast, here, here's why DraftKings is attractive to me because, and again, I'm not giving stock advice. I'm not telling you what to do. I want to underline that. I'm telling you what I did, but it looks like the forecast is for DraftKings to hold a market share of about 24% in sports online betting and 21% in iGaming in 2025. So that makes me very bullish on a, an organization that is operating as a sports book and a real ambassador for the sports betting industry. And here's what's interesting. If California goes legal, you can bet DraftKings will hitch its wagon, I'm guessing, to California. So these folks got to go somewhere to make their bets, right? DraftKings, along with all the other entities out there, I think is in fine position. And they have ample cash to really continue progressing in the current market. And eventually... All the money they invested should start to pay off. Look, there are no guarantees, but this is a company that's poised like a surfer catching a wave to an industry that's on its way to $106 billion. Coming up, America's favorite game. What kind of brand new fool are you? Keep it locked. I'm Bernie Fratto. It's Fox Sports Sunday. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. 
Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are bust. You can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my That's my game, <laughs> Fox Sports Sunday train keeps right on rolling along. Three down, one to go. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific and 6 a.m. Eastern. Still got a ton of stuff to get to in the show. But it's this time every week that we bring the bit, the dance sensation sweeping the nation, the folks that people wait for and love to hear. It's a little segment that we affectionately refer to as What Kind of Brand New Fool Are You? You see, every day in America, across this great land and around the world, criminals, regular citizens, they do foolish things. This be, might be my first one that actually involves a fool on the playing field, and by now you're probably sick of hearing the story. You know, I'm mildly curious if Tommy Pham, how many people have Tommy Pham on their own fantasy team in baseball? Tommy's hitting a whopping 233 this year. He strikes out about a third of the time, and I'm guessing when he slapped Jock Peterson the other night, that's the best contact he's made all year, but this has become the most absurd story of the 22 baseball season starts with a slap and yes it ends with a slap and over you're not going to believe it not only a rule in fantasy football league but something that took place almost two years ago fam slapped jock peterson he was scratched from the reds lineup that night got a three-game suspension he looks like a fool. He's acting a fool. He's become a fool. And even though this happened over a year ago, it couldn't have been. I mean, at the latest, it was the 2021 NFL season. Fam still ticked about it. Apparently, he walked up to Jock Peterson before the game and said something to the effect of, Do you remember last year? Peterson said, Yeah. He said, you like fantasy football? Peterson said, yeah. And it was a slap seen and heard around the world. Get over yourself, Tommy Pham. And oh, by the way, he said he's messing with my money. Man, I'm a, I'm a big time, t- I'm a big dog in Vegas. I'm a high roller at many casinos. Sure, sure you are, Tommy. I got this to say. What kind of brand new fool are you? Brian Finley, you're up. Yeah, Bernie, I don't know how many tattoos you have. I was thinking maybe 10 or, or, or 15, <laughs> but there is a new Guinness Book World Record on the number of square. Yeah, you heard this right. Square tattoos. Obviously, this is an audio show here, but anybody wants to go online and see, there is a man 
who has set a new Guinness Book World Record of 848 square tattoos. His whole body looks like a checkerboard, and he had... His name is Matt Gon, by the way, and I've seen a picture of him. And, and type it in and and have your life changed forever. But Matt in 2014, so he had 848 little squares all over his body. He has since recently this month added on 20 more squares and has a new world record. All I gotta say, Bernie. This guy is a fool. I encourage everybody to see this guy and what he looks like. And I don't even think you'll believe me. Believe me until you see it. But he is a fool. Well, that's a good one, Brian. And you asked if I have a tattoo. I'm thinking about getting the Last Supper scene on my forehead someday. You, you don't have one in, on your lower back? Not at this time. Not that I know okay. of. Yeah, <laughs> you know. haven't lost any bets or anything of that <laughs> nature. All right, good one, Brian. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Chris Perfett, you're up. Bernie, we're taking you once again to my two favorite places, the intersection of animation, celebrity, and um, cryptocurrency. Again, somehow. I don't know how this keeps happening. Anyway, uh, the person in question is Seth Green, who you might remember. Oh, sure. Uh, does not actually, I just learned this this week, does not permanently have those goggles from Can't Hardly Wait attached to his head. He can actually remove them. I did not know that. So, uh, Seth Green was in the plans to make a show called White Horse Tavern. It combines live action and animation, and it stars as the bartender... In, in the eponymous ta- tavern, a board ape, an actual NFT, a character derived from an NFT from the board eight yacht club, very famous NFT brand that sells for a lot of money out there. And NFTs, for those who don't know, are just literally just pictures. They're pictures that you can, right. that apparently, these are the new tulips of the internet, if you know your history. It's a live action picture of a baseball card, basically. Yeah. So anyway, um, what happened was Seth Green's crypto wallet got hacked and someone was able to make off with uh, many of his NFTs, including the board ape in question that was going to be the character of this show. Here's where it gets tricky. Part of what sets board ape apart is that Yuga Labs, their creator, grants you the copyright to use the character as long as you hold the NFT. However, that copyright transfers to whoever happens to hold the NFT. Now, in the world of NFTs and crypto, there's a term, code is law. This person who is absconded with Seth Green's NFTs now is the current and real copyright holder of the character that was going, in, going to go into this animation show. Seth Green no longer has the copyright to the character for his own show. The show can't go on because he doesn't have the copyright. So... We don't know what the future of this show is. Uh, Dan Olson, who's a fantastic crypto critic, great YouTube video called Line Goes Up, also pointed out that, you know, it, 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 there, there, it, there's even more problems that it might have just been like you have to include it with the background. Point is, though, is that Seth Green is trying to negotiate with someone who stole his, his NFT because otherwise he cannot create... A, a mixed animation show because he doesn't have he no longer has the character or the copyright to that character. Seth Green wow. is truly the fool. Well, for a guy who might not dot his eyes and cross his C's that well, he has a shockingly long list, a resume of work. And I will just tell you, for me, the one thing I can't ever get past is Austin Powers. Right? 
I'm, I'm guessing, Chris, could you could you? I remember say, that movie. Well, yeah, no, he he was. Dude's almost fifty years old now. Austin Powers came out twenty five years ago, but I'm guessing at this point he lost maybe over one million dollars. I'm guessing is that possible? All right, I think I on. think like Doctor Evil, you are lowballing it. Yeah. Oh, one hundred billion dollars. Yeah, remember they all laughed. Good, mm. good, good recall there. All right. I'll I'll call him Mini Me. I'll call him Mini Fool. Maybe he's only five foot four. Not that that means anything. Relax, people. Relax. Relax. Okay. Good stuff, Chris. Eric Kemp, you've had some good ones lately. What do you got tonight? What kind of brand new fool are you? Well, uh, I'm not a fool myself because I don't have Tommy Pham on my fancy baseball team either. Very good. Um, but I did have Teoscar Hernandez, and he's batting below the Mendoza line. In any case, I digress. Um, Bernie, have you ever uh, met another Bernie and won the battle for the Bernie rights? I've met other Bernies, but yeah. no battle ensued. Really? You didn't, you didn't go to Twitter and call out every Bernie there it was uh, to a poo noodle fight? Well, guess what? Josh Swain from Tuscan, uh, tu- Tuscan, uh, Tucson, Arizona. Hey, it's you know it's two a.m. here, uh, Tucson, Arizona. Josh Swain from Tucson, Arizona sent out a tweet challenging anyone who shared his name to fight over it. And after it took on a life of its own, Swain turned it into a real event last year at the random corners he included in his original note, which actually happened in Lincoln, Nebraska. This year, um, there was actually several hundred people there that grabbed their pool noodles and headed to Nebraska to fight over the name Josh. With um, a pool noodle. Yeah, with pool noodles. They're going to whack each other over pool noodles. <laughs> that's, that's right. Were they turning this into a TikTok event? What am I missing here, man? Pretty much. Pretty much. My head's going to explode. Go I ahead. I think you're right on, uh, you know, right on course for that. But, uh, you know, despite them all being quite foolish, uh, they did raise $21,000 for Children's Hospital and Medical Center there oh, in look Omaha. At so, what do you know? Being a that's fool redemption. did uh, lead to uh, uh, great rewards in the end. Well, that's what they say. God takes care of fools. Uh, all right. Good stuff, guys. It's sort of benign tonight. A lot of times we get into this heavy criminal action. I had a what kind of brand new fool feature about four weeks ago about a guy who broke into an old folks home, thought he was snorting cocaine, but it was someone's ashes. Things can get real weird in the segment. All right. Good job, guys, which allows us to segue, segue easy for me to say, into another Another bit that we lovingly call What My Name. Get your popcorn ready, folks. All right, two years ago in the NBA, I was the head coach of the team that had the worst record in the NBA. Brian Fenley, What My Name? Steve Clifford. Ooh, close, close. Two years ago, I was the head coach of the team. In 2020, they had the worst record in the NBA. Chris Perfett, what my name? Uh, Dwayne Casey. Okay, not bad. We'll see if Eric Kemp can get this. Two years ago, I had the worst record as the head coach of an NBA team in 2020. Eric Kemp, what my name? Uh, let's go with former Nugget Chauncey Billups. Not good guesses, guys. Of course, Chauncey hadn't been hired yet, but top credit to everybody. It's actually Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, remember the Golden State Warriors dealing with all those injuries. They didn't have Jordan Poole yet. They didn't have uh, Andrew Wiggins yet. They had the worst record in the NBA. All right. To this day, I'm the only pitcher in Major League Baseball. Baseball, easy for me to say. Last time I ran a tongue from that place. What kind of fool am I? I am the only pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball to throw a hitter on opening day. It's never been done since. Ryan Finley, what my name? 
I'm gonna go with what's the, the the bald guy David former Yankee oh Wells Wells yeah I'm sorry not bad but I'm sorry all right I'm the only pitcher in major league history to throw a no hitter on opening day no one's done it since Chris Perfett what my name I used to know this now I don't so I'm just gonna throw out Steven Strasburg and hope for the best you know he made some great movies oh no I'm sorry that was Steven Spielberg I'm sorry I'm sorry good guess though all right We'll see if uh, Eric can save the day. I'm the only pitcher in Major League Baseball history to throw a no-hitter on opening day. Never been done since. Eric Kemp, what my name? I don't think I know the answer, Bernie, but let's go with that jerk, John Rocker. John Rocker, yes. Probably riding the New York subways these days. Guys, it happened back in 1940. A guy I know you've heard of, gentleman by the name of Bob Feller. Bob Feller. All right. On this day in the 2016 NBA Eastern Conference Finals, I led my team to victory by making a an NBA record 11 three-pointers in one game. Brian Finley, what my name? He is now golfing in college. It is... Oh, you're thinking of J.R. Smith? Yeah. Good guess. I'm sorry. All right, on this day, 2016, Eastern Conference... Check that. Western Conference Finals. I oh, wait a minute, Bernie. You said Eastern to me, so I, I got tripped okay, up. Okay, good. You start the ticker, Chris. What do you got, Brian? Okay, let's go with Iguodala. <laughs> not a very good... Andre Iguodala, not a very good Not a very good answer. You know what, Brian? I forgot. It was actually the Northern Conference Finals. <laughs> okay. All right. Nicely job. Nicely done, Chris. That's on me, folks. I'm. What kind of brand new fool am I twice? All right. On this day, 2016, the Western Conference Finals, I led my team to victory by making an NBA record 11 three-pointers in what in one game. Chris Perfett, what my name? Um, I'm going to blow this, but Steph Curry. Ooh, you're getting close. Getting close. Mm. All right, Eric up next. 2016 on this day, Western Conference Finals, NBA playoffs. I set an NBA record, leading my team to victory, making 11 three-pointers. Eric Kemp, what my name? I don't know if this is like a trick question by any means, but let's go with Harrison Barnes. All right. You guys get pretty close because you have the right team. It's actually Clay Thompson. Okay. And he had eight the other night, so he is back. All right, guys. In the history of the NHL, nine goalies have scored a goal. But I'm the only goal, the goalie to have actually scored two goals in my career. Brian Finley, what my name? Mike Piazza. Yes, no. Good one, Brian. I, I, you know, that's good. I didn't know Mike Piazza played hockey. Well, but, he's kind of like a goalie as a, as a catcher. It's sort they, of oh, like the hey. goalie version of now That's the, what I call the use of creativity. Yeah. Nicely done mm-hmm. there. Wow, man. You rode me like a stick horse on that one. All right. I'm sorry. Judges cannot allow it. All right. In the history of the NHL, nine goalies have actually scored a goal in a game, but I'm the only goalie that actually did it twice. Eric Kemp, what my name? Well, last time I think I went with Patrick Waugh, but you know what? We're going to stick with that. Patrick Waugh. I'm sorry. Good guess. In the history of the NHL, nine goalies have scored a goal in a game. I'm the only goalie to score two. Chris Perfett, what my name? Mm, There's so many fun answers I can go with. I want to stick with my favorite, though. Robert Luongo. (laughs) Roberto Luongo, isn't it? Roberto Luongo. What I say. All right. 
I'm sorry, guys. It's Martin Brodeur of New Jersey Devils fame. And as you recall, Chris, back in 1995, we were both in Michigan when the New Jersey Devils swept our beloved Detroit Red Wings in four games. All right, guys. Great job. Another rousing editions of What My Name and What Kind of Brand New Fool Are You? Only 167 hours and 45 minutes till America waits with bated breath for another rousing edition of what kind of brand new fool are you and what my name? Coming up in about 14 minutes and 38 seconds, Chris Perfett's World of Soccer. But not before. I read something very creative in The Athletic this week, and I want to give somebody named Lindsay Jones credit because she's got a five-step process to fix the Pro Bowl, which is the NFL's version of an all-star game. And we all know that thing goes over like a fart in church now. It just isn't working anymore. She has some good ideas. I'll give her some credit. I'm Bernie Fratto. Come to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Keep it locked. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Now we're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. Bernie Fratto, come to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. And as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, the owners, the NFL owners, had a Tuesday meeting this uh, past week in Atlanta. And one of the thought-provoking bits to come out of the meeting is that the league is finally really realizing they've got to consider major changes to the Pro Bowl. It's an all-star game in, in name only because the actual Pro Bowl is its an abysmal assault to the eyes if you try to watch it. Players don't want to risk injury. Football isn't fun when it's played at half speed. And you are witnessing one powder puff defensive effort after another. But here's the problem. See, the NFL and Roger Goodell have a dilemma. They know damn well the Pro Bowl is more screwed than James Conn's girlfriend in the stairwell of his sister's wedding during The Godfather. But somehow, they've got to keep some form of it, some form of it as another golden goose cash cow. Because everything the NFL touches makes money. So there was an article in The Athletic this past week. I don't want to give this individual credit. The name is Lindsey Jones. And Lindsey Jones came up with a five-step process to fix the Pro's Bowl and turn it into an event worth watching, and, and I'm sure they could still monetize it. Again, first pass, A for effort. One, start with the skills competition. Think field day but bigger, stronger, and faster. Now, elements of this are sort of already baked into the Pro Bowl week because they have a dodgeball competition and a one-handed catch competition and a quarterback accuracy challenge. But those events, they're held in the days before the Pro Bowl. Frankly, they're you could argue they're more entertaining than the damn game itself, right? But when you have insanely competitive athletes playing games that are sort of kids' games, that, I think, has the potential to actually be something. So, you know, Lindsey Jones' premise is, let's just, you know, let's just, just get rid of the idea of an actual football game and, and just sort of lean into fun events, okay? Keep the dodgeball, keep the quarterback passing competition, maybe even a three-legged race, a game of horse, a 40-yard dash. That I'd watch. Let's determine who the NFL's fastest man really is, 40-yard dash. You know, you pull a hammy, okay, it's February. Your team's not in the Super Bowl anyway, so you got months to make it heal. Secondly, this is interesting. She says turn it into a telethon. Now, you know, people are actually watching the Pro Bowl. Believe it or not, yeah, there was a pretty significant ratings drop-off in 2022, but the game still drew almost 7 million viewers. So if you... 
take the Pro Bowl concept and make it fun, you do something good with it, and the league doesn't really have to get that creative because in, in, during the coronavirus pandemic, the league held this virtual draft in 2020. You remember that? The NFL used one of its broadcast channels for Draftathon, and it ended up raising $7 million for COVID relief. So Lindsey Jones brings up a really good point. The NFL might be able to match that level of donations during the Pro Bowl, but this event would provide a large platform to raise money for really any one of a number of charitable organizations. All right. Number three, <laughs> Lindsey Jones of the Athletics says, let the Manning brothers host it. Now, it's pretty clear that everybody loves the Manning brothers. They're funny. They're glib. They both won multiple Super Bowls. And... I think they would turn this into something. And you have to give the other network credit because when they paired Peyton and Eli Manning for Monday Night Football simulcast, it's just this sort of this informal back and forth. They, 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 yes, there's analysis, but there's also celebrity interviews. There's comedic banter. You know what? A non-traditional broadcast for whatever this event Pro Bowl was going to be, you can't tell me the Manning brothers wouldn't work. Another idea, get the fans involved. How about a pros versus Joe style affair? You've got NFL pro bowlers that make these games look easy. But how about some fans to remind us that maybe they could maybe they could don the Al Bundy notion and maybe, I don't know, flag football or uh, it, let's say you find some guy, you know, who's golf set to go play in the NFL, but he had to go work on the melon farm. So, But he believes, he truly believes he can beat DK Metcalf in a 40-yard dash. What the hell? Let's stage it. Let's try it. You got nothing to lose, right? I know you're probably going to have to, you know, take out a hefty insurance policy, but throw the fans into the into the mix and let's see what comes out of it. Finally, make it so literally every function has an element that you can place a sports wager on. See, now you're cooking. Any one of these things we talked about, you could bet. Because... The NFL did something it never done before. They never said they would even have a Pro Bowl in Vegas. Now we're even going to have a Super Bowl in Vegas. we got a team in Vegas. Just have this event in Vegas every year. Make Whatever you do, every aspect, every event, from pre-event prop bets to dodgeball MVP to the winners of every skill position challenge, whatever you do, you make it so you can bet on it. And even if the NFL decides to not make all of these changes and do some sort of scaled-down version of a game or some goofy flag football tournament, which I'm not for. The bottom line is the NFL does find a way to need to find a way to incorporate live gaming into this Pro Bowl event because any event that will draw 7 million fans that will watch that Michigas we saw last year, they're going to want to tune in again. It's that lull between the final conference championships and the Super Bowl. So there you have it. There's hope. There's hope for the Pro Bowl. There's hope for the world. Coming up, Chris Perfett's World of Soccer. But first, let's go to the dulcet tones and the golden pipes of Brian Finley with the latest. Thank you so much, Bernie. We had an NHL postseason game last night, and the Rangers have forced a Game 7 after they beat the Hurricanes 5-2. to two. That second-round series is all even at 3. Major League Baseball, the Pirates with a three-run home run at the top of the ninth inning as the Padres blow a save and surrender a 4-2 to two win back to Pittsburgh. The Blue Jays fend off the Angels 6-5, to five. LA 
play, had three runners on base, looking to come back in the bottom of the ninth, but that comeback falls short. The Mariners' offense takes it to the Astros six to nothing. And how about the pitching from Logan Gilbert, the starter for Seattle? Four hits allowed over seven innings, no earned runs, no walks. He was on it, but Zach Elfin was not. He was the Philly starting hurler yesterday, and he went six innings, gave up eight hits, seven earned runs, and Philadelphia lost to the Mets 8-2. The Dodgers crawl past the Diamondbacks 3-2. The Rays hold off the Yankees 3-1, so there goes that four-game winning streak for New York as it evaporates. The Cardinals blast the Brewers 8-3. Nolan Gorman hit a home run in the ball game, while the Royals kept the Twins at bay 7-3. Bobby Wood Jr. had three hits. PG Tour one round to go and through 54 holes at the Charles Schwab Challenge. This is how it stands. Scotty Scheffler is your leader by two strokes. 11 under for the tournament. Scott Stallings and Brennan Todd are at a tie for second at nine under going into final round action today. And speaking of today, we got hoops as well, Bernie. 8.30 Eastern. It is Game 7. All coming down to this. Bring on the drama. Eastern Conference Final. Celtics and Heat will clash. Bernie, I'm going with the Celtics. Who are you going with? Yeah, I'm with you, Brian. I like Boston as well. Back to you. All right, thanks, Brian. And I talked about that uh, earlier in the evening. Miami, even as the number one seed, was the underdog. That's happened 12 times in NBA history, and the number one seed is an underdog. 1-11. I think Boston will get it done. That game will tip off in about 15 hours. All right, at this time every week, Chris Perfett in the world of soccer. It is, of course, a World Cup year, but there's still business to tend to. The topic today, the champions of Europe are crowned. Chris is going to break it down, that climactic finish of UEFA, what happened in Paris, how these knuckleheads were literally climbing the walls, and how Real Madrid once again found themselves crowned as kings. Chris? Before we begin, Bernie, I just want to say, actually, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll just dive right into it. We'll save the other stuff for a little bit later. Um, just to illustrate my point here, do you know Do you know if I told you there is a football club named Sheriff, what What European country do you think that is based on? Uh, Germany. Close. It is actually in Moldova, a very small country in Eastern Europe. That is the side Real Madrid lost to during group stages of this year's Champions League. It was an embarrassment of the highest order. Somehow Real Madrid turned that around and worked their way through every last heavyweight of Europe. They beat Paris Saint-Germain, they beat Manchester City, and now they have beaten Liverpool to be crowned the champions of Europe. It is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Uh, There is always the joke of football heritage. Bernie, they have football heritage. They have 14 UEFA trophies now. Carlo Ancelotti, more on him later. Four titles for him as a manager between Madrid and Milan. Uh, Before this began, you made mention of it, and I know you're tickled by this. Yes, there was plenty of drama and chaos that that preceded this. The, this yeah. match took place in Paris at the uh, at the at the Stade de, Paris, de, de France, or I forget the name of it. Um, before even then, I know some Liverpool fans they had had a flight canceled and they were like going across the channel in a speedboat, 
And then there was some problem with apparently fake tickets and tickets not being read and locals who had just climbed over the fences to get in anyway. Yeah. But some Liverpool fans were showing up to the gates with tickets and uh, the per- Parisian police responded with uh, pepper spray. So... If you got to watch his video because the video I saw, people are hopping the fence, jumping over the ticket booth, running in, and there's like these run cop security guards wearing these orange vests, and they're doing basically nothing. It's like an old yeah. bull yeah. bullfight. Go ahead. Yeah, and Liverpool fans, again, tried to show up, and there was, I, I know their story is fake tickets. Either way, there was tear gas deployed and everything. Bad look. Very, very ugly scenes, yes. Bad but, look. I mean, this, this, is, this is soccer. Hooliganism is to be expected, especially with very passionate sides like Madrid and Liverpool, two very powerful teams, and th- th- I- I'm shocked. I'm a little bit shocked by the final. I think Liverpool was very well figured out by Madrid in this. And again, credit to Carlo Ancelotti. I think he gained eight titles. This is eight four, title four ti- four Champions League titles for him. Yes, yes, on top of that. So, but Bernie, Liverpool had 24 shots on goal, nine shots on target. Madrid only had four shots total, two on target. And they are the winners in this one. One nothing as Vinny Jr. gets the um, gets the the single goal. Vin- Vinicius Jr. But I think the tale of this, much like Euro 2020, was the goalkeeper Thibaut Courtois, who just stood on his head against everything Liverpool had. Every all this high fu- high flying fire firepower they had, Mohamed Salah, all of their great players, and Salah himself, even before this, said that they wanted Madrid. That Liverpool wanted Madrid. He got his wish. He was shut well, out. Well, and, and Madrid's got their number. They've, Liverpool's beaten them once in 40 years. Once. Well, it's it's not just that. I, I saw this fantastic stat, Bernie. In the last 21 years, La Liga teams, which includes Real Madrid, have played have played in 17 Champions and Europa League finals against non-Spanish teams. They have won all 17. Spain is undefeated in these kind of championship moments, and Madrid is the is the cream of that class, man. It's it's a phenomenal win for them. Uh, and again, just just the the changes of fortunes here. Liverpool a couple weeks ago, we were talking about them possibly going for a quadruple. They had won the FA Cup, they had won the League Cup, they were looking for a Premier League title. They lost that to Manchester City. All right. By, by, fine. by the way, Chris, yeah. for what it's worth. Didn't didn't Real Madrid have a goal call back because he was offsides? I I, I, be, I believe so. I, I VAR being. I mean, it was called back. Yeah, I mean, plenty of stuff happens with offsides these days. So these I'm things. I'm just saying it could have been two nothing. Oh, could've it been. it could it could have been, but still, they they were very efficient with the very few shots on goal that they did get. Um, but I, as I said at the beginning, it, it's more than just one champion in Europe. We have Europa League, which is the next tier below it, and then starting this year was Europa Conference, and I do want to tie all these things together, because I know we focus a lot on the British and the English sides here, because Premier League is probably the most exciting domestic, but they're the, they're the only one of the big four countries in UEFA that were shut out. Europa is won by the German side Frank, Eintracht Frankfurt, Real Madrid, Spain, La Liga wins Champions League, and then Italy picks up their first European hardware in the brand new this year Europa Conference League. I don't want to call this the CBT of of European soccer, but this was a chance for seventh side seventh place sides in places like England and Germany to play, but also to give places like Austria and smaller countries chances to get more teams in. Roma is the Italy Italian side to pick up. It's their first ever Italian um, European hardware, and it's first year there, and another championship for 
Jose Mourinho. We have two legendary coaches, uh, managers who I feel tie Champions League and Conference League together. Jose Mourinho tasked with the outsized expectations of Roma to turn that city or to turn the club around in the eternal city in Rome, where fans have expectations sky high every year. And Carlo Ancelotti, who has, I mean, it's Madrid, it's royalty. They expect nothing less than to be the champions of Europe. Every single year. It's, you know what's interesting? Yeah. You mentioned a lot of good coaches. Uh, these are, you know, we're talking Belichick, Chuck Noll. These are the coaches. How about Jurgen Klopp? Give the guy some love. Oh, absolutely. They, and They and, dominated. I just want to throw my one cent in because, you know, I've been doing my homework. Liverpool dominated that game today. Real Madrid didn't even get a shot on goal till about, I think, 20 minutes to go in the match. I, I'm pretty sure someone from Liverpool hit the post. They couldn't score a goal. For whatever reason, because I thought Liver, if you didn't see a scoreboard, they outclassed Real Madrid. They looked like the better team, and they lost. Jurgen Klopp's built a hell of a machine there. He just couldn't get it done today. He has, and he has committed long-term to to Liverpool. Plenty of other clubs have tried coming to knock um, because, obviously, in, in the past, Liverpool has been a remarkable club. But, I mean, obviously, there's still some bigger fish out there, be it... You know, the man, be it the Manchester's or be it uh, some of the Spanish sides, but he is committed to Liverpool and he's defiant and he has said straight up, book your hotels for next year. Liverpool expects to be back here next year. Jurgen Klopp has raised the bar at Liverpool to be as high as any of these other football royalties out there. So I don't expect Liverpool to go away. Uh, Madrid is obviously still retooling, but they seem ahead of the curve, and they're certainly ahead of their foes, Barcelona, when it comes to just picking up title after title. So it's exciting. It will be exciting, but we're moving now in the club side to transfer windows, so plenty of wheeling and dealing to be done. Meanwhile, on Wednesday, we are starting to get our first international friendlies. The United States will be in a friendly match. Italy is also in a friendly match, which gives me pain because Italy is not going to the World Cup this year, and it it kills me inside. It it really does. Good stuff. We're just about out of time, but where I thought you were going with Wednesday is Ukraine has a big match, and if they win, they'll play Wales next Sunday, and that would put Ukraine, if they win both of those games, into their first World Cup. And that would be a hell of a story if Ukraine... Tell me we're not rooting for them. Yeah. By the way, one last thing. You'll have about 20 seconds to respond to this. But Jurgen Klopp claimed this year's Liverpool team was the best squad he ever had. Do you agree? It's rough, but I think so. They've just assembled so much good stuff. Again, they were on the doorstep in both places for a quadruple. One point. One, one, point, one, one, from, one point. One point. One All they point. needed was Manchester City to lose. This they is going to be, a, this yeah. is be a great World Cup. Seriously, I really believe it's going to be a great World Cup. All right, coming up, we wrap up the show, and there's a bill in California that could actually make pay-for-play for college athletes a reality. It's called the College Athlete Race and Gender Equity Act. I'm not making this up. I'll give you the details in a second. Don't tell Nick Saban about any of this. I don't think you'll like it. I'm Bernie Frater. We're coming to you live from Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Keep it locked. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Now we're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Frater. coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Before I go any further... I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles. They've been with me since 11 p.m. Pacific Saturday night. Brian Fenley on the updates, Chris Perfett, and Eric Kemp. Great job as always, guys. Could not do this show, could not do this fine show in front of a grateful nation without the teamwork, turning all the dials, keeping us glued together. All right, 
Last week, I talked at length about NIL, and I talked about Amplify, which is the very advanced program at Texas A&M in which a consortium of coordinators and boosters and stakeholders actually were able to scrape up about $30 million and create a, a very, what I would consider, coordinated uh, best-in-class education and resources situation related to helping kids with their personal branding and paying them a little money along the way. And what did that do that enabled Texas A&M to get f- six five-star recruits, 11 four-star recruits, three three-star recruits, best recruiting class in the history of college football? We'll see if it translates on the field, be that as it may. NIL is here to stay, and we'll be talking about other schools following suit, and Amplify will be something I'll be referring back to because it appears to be the gold standard. Not to be outdone, the state of California is introduced a bill. And for the past few months, this bill's been brewing in the California legislature that would force local athletic departments to share revenue with players. These are college athletic departments. Now, put your seatbelt on, hold on to this, because the bill, which is called the College Race, check that, the College Athlete Race and Gender Equity Act, it was written by a senator by the name of Stephen Bradford, sponsored by the National College Players Association, the NCP. I've never heard of that. And this coming Thursday, I believe, it's up for yet another vote as it you know mows its way through the state bureaucracy. The bill, here's the kicker. The bill says each athlete would receive an equal share of 50% of a sport's revenue, minus the amount they are receiving aid packages. The money would go to a degree completion fund where athletes would access up to 25 grand a year. And they'd receive the rest, athletes would receive the rest as long as they finished their degree within six years of enrolling, enrolling. The bill specifically says, however, that the payments would not mean the athletes would be classified, classified as employees. Now, this bill, again, think about this. You're an athlete, you're an AD, and if this bill passes, athletes are basically, uh, they're on the hook, well, the, the schools are on the hook, and the athletes would be eligible for 50% of a college sports revenue under this bill. And I think it only involves football, men's basketball, and women's basketball. Now, in 2019, California, the California State Legislature, passed the first law in the country making it illegal for the NCAA to prohibit athletes from making money off their name, image, and likeness. Now, the gentleman I just mentioned, Stephen Bradford, he's a senator. He was a co-author, and again, I I just mentioned this organization. I've never heard of him. And the NCPA was a co-sponsor of this bill. And so when the bill was passed, the NCAA was forced to change their NIL rules at the time to prevent a vastly unequal recruiting landscape where only athletes in California could participate. This gets very convoluted. And it's, again, another extension in this phenomenon by which the world we're living in that the professionalism of college athletics, and we all know it's been there, has has been underway. I do not know how in the hell you mandate an athletic department to share 50% of their revenue. This is how the bill spelled out. Not profits, revenue. What do they think these schools just, just completely print money? But be that as it may, um, 
we've got to watch and see how this plays out because these are real people that are, that are serious about this quest. And if, you know, it's already been brewing in the California legislature. Now, schools are, you know, on their own in terms of like Texas A&M, which I think has basically gamed the system better than anybody, much the same way John Calipari gamed the system when it came to one and done players for Kentucky. He just did it better than anybody else. And this program that Texas A&M calls Amplify, it's basically for Texas A&M student-athletes. And the idea is to help them build their digital brand. They provide financial workshops, teach them how to market, network, mock job interviews, all those things, in addition to putting a few bucks in their pocket. This other bill could affect all the colleges and universities in the state of California that have football teams, men's, women's, basketball teams, something to keep an eye on as this new world of college athletics continues on and causes us to scratch our heads. That's going to do it for Straight Out of Vegas and Fox Sports Sunday. I'm Bernie Fratto. Keep it locked. Andy Furman and Brian No are up next. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.